0: the world is like a ride at an amusement park and when you choose to go on it you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are i can tell you from experience the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is don't think feel it is like a finger pointing away to the moon don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory
1: you take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Show. As usual, I'm your host, Nick Gregoriatis. And uh, I'm just going to say it. I'm speaking to you from the most perfect, sunny day here in Los Angeles. I don't mean to be that guy that rubs it in because I know it's, it's winter, it's February at the time of recording. And some of you guys I know are struggling because especially in Northern Europe and Scandinavia and other parts of the US, the is pretty crappy, but uh, I paid my dues when it comes to shitty weather. I lived in London for 10 years, and I think I only saw the sun maybe 30 or 40 times. <laughs> maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I hardly ever saw the sun, and I got really used to crappy weather. So being here in Los Angeles, it never gets old, and uh, I don't think I'm going to shut up about it for a long time. I'm, I'm just too in love with the weather in this amazing place. So uh, before we get into today's show, I just want to let you guys know about one of my projects. So if you've been one of my listeners for a long time, you probably have heard about me through the jiu-jitsu community and perhaps my work with my previous company, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. I started Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood in 2007. Uh, It was just a blog when I began. And I was just writing my thoughts and musings on jujitsu and that started to grow and get more popular. And I started to film a few YouTube videos and I created a few little items like t-shirts and shorts and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it started to pick up a little bit of interest and, uh, I took on a business partner who helped me greatly grow the brand. And over the course of the next seven years, it grew into something pretty cool. I mean, we had affiliates all over the world. We had a huge range of jujitsu clothing and geese and stuff like that. And it was, it was pretty popular and it was something I was very, very proud of. Unfortunately, just over a year ago, you know, that, that relationship with that business partner had been deteriorating for a long time. And it, it hit the point where our differences were just irreconcilable. I finally know what that, that phrase means, irreconcilable differences. You know, when you hear that on a TV show or a A movie about a couple that's getting divorced with irreconcilable differences. That's pretty much exactly what happened with me and my, um, my then business partner. And, uh, the only option I had or the, or the best possible option I had was to just walk away from that business and exit that business as much as I loved it and and everything I'd created, just couldn't work with this guy anymore. And to be honest, when that happened, I was pretty burned out on jujitsu. Jiu-Jitsu had been such an important part of my life for so long. And, you know, there's this expression that you shouldn't make your passions, your business. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I understand why that warning exists. And this relationship and this business and everything kind of like, because they were revolved around Jiu-Jitsu, they led me to a point of pretty intense burnout. And I stepped away from Jiu-Jitsu for a while. And uh, I say, Jiu-Jitsu is like a love affair. You know, sometimes you fall in and out of love with the person you're with. And I'd basically fallen out of love with it. So right after that business broke down or around the same time that business broke down, I got divorced and um, I was living in Arizona when I was married and I decided I'm going to move to Los Angeles, move to California. And I found myself here in Los Angeles and I wasn't in a good way. I'm sure if you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you know what I went through. Just over a year ago, I was really like, that was the only time in my life I've ever been truly depressed. And one of the things that got me through it was training at my friend Brent's Academy in North Hollywood. His academy is called Subconscious Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, it just became the center of my whole life here in, in Los Angeles to start when I, when I first arrived. And that's the place where I fell in love with Jiu-Jitsu all over again. I re-remembered the power of... Of that amazing thing that power to connect people and the power to help to help people and i started teaching a little bit there and then brent and i discussed you know creating an association a subconscious association because brent and i have a very cool friendship and we our approach to jiu-jitsu i think is pretty cool you know we're very open-minded guys and we're it's not the usual jiu-jitsu association let me leave it at that and uh we decided to do this thing and so Just over a year ago, I became the director of Subconscious Jiu-Jitsu Association. And a lot of my old affiliated academies that were with me when I was with Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood have joined and we're continuing to grow. We've now got 14 academies around the world and growing. And uh, if you're a Jiu-Jitsu guy who is either looking for an association to join or just wanting some guidance and wanting to have... A couple of really cool guys who are great at jiu-jitsu guide you on your own journey and and uh help you either grow your business or an establish establish a an academy or just um help you live the jiu-jitsu lifestyle. Send me a message and we'll we'll chat, and we'll see if it's a fit for you. My whole goal with Subconscious Jiu Jitsu Association and it's it's Brent's goal as well, is we've got something really cool and we don't need anyone else to share it with, but we just love it so much. We want to share it with others. And that's the ethos behind what we're doing. It's, it's something really fun and cool. And there's a really good spirit and we want to just expand that and share it because when you, when you do that, it multiplies it and that's our objective. So, uh, if that feels good to you, if it sounds good to you, hit me up and maybe we'll make something happen. Let's, uh, let's get into the interview today, which is with a, Marine, an ex-Marine, and a Purple Heart uh, recipient named Doctor Obam Bowen. He was fascinating to talk to, and uh, I mean, I've always been impressed and respected, impressed by and respected soldiers. And so, we dived into uh, his military career and, and how he got the Purple Heart, and then we also looked at how he's pivoted to become a successful businessman. And I think you guys are gonna you're gonna thoroughly enjoy this episode. So let's jump in and chat to Dr. Obam Bowen. Okay, guys, I'm here with Dr. Obam Bowen, who is a 20-year retired decorated United States Marine who received a Purple Heart as an infantry commander for his service in wound in combat. Today, Dr. Bowen is helping entrepreneurs create and live their legacies. I mean,
0: that's, that's amazing. Your, your credentials are awesome. I've got so much to talk to you about. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I hope I can bring some value that will light up the scenes for your listeners today. I have no doubt, my man. I have no doubts. So, first thing, Marine with a purple heart.
1: That's, I mean, there's no other way to say it. that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> that's, pretty, <laughs> that's that's pretty fucking cool. How did that? Do you mind? Do you mind sharing with us how how you received or what you received your purple heart for specifically?
0: Yeah, definitely. I it's funny because if you're thinking about how you know what has to happen to receive a Purple Heart, there's like three major boxes to be checked. I checked all three in, in the same instance in my service in uh, in Iraq. So you have to actually be injured and bleed in combat by you know direct action with the enemy, whether that's you know being blown up, being shot, cut, stabbed, what have you. So that happened. I uh, I got blown up three separate times in Iraq. And um, the second is, you know, loss of consciousness as a result of direct action, uh, a result with the enemy. That happened the third time I actually got blown up. Uh, My head got slammed into the steering console and the the axle broke and the, the pressure from the improvised munition device kind of went through, kind of clipped my ear a little bit and um hit the marine that was sitting in the back of the humvee uh with me actually took his arm completely off and some injuries he got hit as a result from the shrapnel which two days later he ended up dying and um the third is really from just injuries itself from direct action so all three of those happen for marines it's one of those things and you know when when while you are serving, we talk a lot of crap with each other, a lot of shit talking. It's like, how did you prove and get this? Almost like the Mel Gibson scene in Lethal Weapon, right? I got this scar, and I got that scar, and I got this scar. But, you know, the, the Purple Heart medal is one of those that you don't want to receive. Hmm. And <laughs> I re- Because you have to, each, and then the third one is actually if you actually die in combat, which you sure. can receive posthumously. So I literally, I flatline died. Uh, three separate okay. times as a result of that. Yeah, for 45 seconds, my heart—I was pronounced dead. Crazy story with that. By the way, Nick was um, when I was pronounced dead because of my position that I was in at the time in the military. You know, they send that information up the chain of command and eventually got reported. You know, back home to my wife and family, so on and so forth. And within the 46th second, when I was resuscitated somehow someone forgot to send that information back up the chain <laughs> so you know wow. the family yeah the family thought I, I was dead for a few days until you know they figured all that out and get, long story short that's kind of how i i earned my my purple heart medals and kind of check all three boxes all at the same time so when you're looking in the ego club which was the marine corps shit talking i think i had the ultimate shit talking card for a while but Mm-hmm. You know, being past, <laughs> past, you know, past all of it. Now it's just, it's one of those things that define everything in your life and your career. What was going on, and it, it kind of put a halt to many things and plans that I had. So it, it really was a pivotal point for me to shift and change gears, which took a few years to kind of get back on my feet.
1: I understand. Uh, I have so many questions. The first one relates to the fact that you actually died. Uh, and your family was was informed that you died. Uh, and then obviously a few days later, they found out that you were you were back.
0: I mean, do you know anything about their reaction when they found out that you that you weren't dead? Like, did you hear about that or did they tell you about that? Well, at first it was um, in my words, I didn't know this then until I actually had a conversation with my wife at the time, my first wife. I'm actually on my second marriage now, but it was a few days later and. Because of my position, they had what's called the the public affairs office or the PAO guys came in. It was a marine major and a few other folks, and he came in, had the satellite phone. Obviously, you know we're in combat, and he goes, "Hey, would you like to talk to your wife?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course. I you know I like to talk to my wife." So they called and says, "Hey, we have your husband on the phone," and obviously she thought it was a joke. Like who's like really having this sick joke that's going on? And in yes. that moment, right <laughs> in that moment, they realized that. Somebody, for lack of a better word, fucked up. So when that happened, all hell broke loose. But for me at the time, my head was just in, I still you know, needed to talk to my family. Whoever made that mistake, y'all just need to fix it.
1: Wow, that is nuts, man. Did you see the light and go towards the tunnel
0: and the whole deal or was there none of that? You know what? I, I've never seen the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I'll tell you what happened to me, though, if you want to call it a flashpoint. There's two of the three times I remember significantly. It was basically the memories that you hold on to dearly for me. It was seeing my two daughters who are now 20 and 22 at the time, just kind of like the last memories I had with them on vacation before we left to go to Iraq because You know, before you leave and deploy, they always give you what's called block leave. So, a time to kind of go out and and, and spend time with your family and all that stuff. So, we took a few vacations. um, We took the full 30 days, travel around, saw family, all that stuff. So, I had flashes of those things. You know, I never saw a tunnel or anything else, but it was really just the memories and the people that you kind of hold there to me, for me, just kind of flashed before my eyes in a sense. Was it as in, fuck yeah but right and then when i woke up it's like two three days later (laughs) but to me it just looked like i blinked for a few while and just had you know a few fond memories
1: that is that is incredible you know when i was when i was 18 i wanted or 17 even i wanted to be a soldier that was my thing like right and i was living in i grew up in south africa and we had a really shitty military in south africa i had no interest in joining that one so I had this idea to join the Israeli military because I heard that that was the, the IDF was supposed to be the best military right. in the world at the time. Fortunately, my, or maybe unfortunately, I don't know. But my mother talked me out of it. She said, "You're nuts! Like Israel's at war. Like, why would you want to do something like that? Why would you want to go, you know, go into a war zone?" But my whole life, I've always had the utmost respect for soldiers, and it's it's strange because I've spoken about this on my show before. I detest war that I have respect for soldiers. It's a bit of a paradox, but um, yeah, man, I just thank you for your service, brother. I can't even, I can't even imagine how difficult that must've been. So t- tell, me, tell me more about when you, when you came back. I'm guessing you're a bit fucked up with PTSD and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, first of all, um, for saying that, thanks a lot, Nick, appreciate you. It's crazy. You would think that would be the natural thing where everyone would kind of be appreciative of those who actually fight for the freedoms that keep us free to do and say whatever we want to, whenever we choose to. Right. But when I first got back, I remember people, it was just almost like the folks from Vietnam who got spat on and talked a whole lot of crap about the same thing happened to us for a while. And then about two years after, you know, the sensitivity was a little different. People appreciated more, but you know, to your question, when, when I first got back, these were some of the official diagnoses that, that I had, which I'll put this first. This is, what caused me to end up homeless living in my car for five years on on my initial. um, Yeah. 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 So it it was not a smooth transition because I had, um, and still do short term memory loss. So it didn't matter what I used to look like the guy in the mirror. I used to have shit written all over my hands. My wife now was was a social worker, and when we first met, she always used to ask me like, "Dude, what is wrong with you? You have (laughs) stuff written all over you." This that's how I remember, you know, for a while until I started getting my my mind back together. So there was a PTSD, obviously, for those who aren't aware, post traumatic stress. Then I had uh, a traumatic brain injury because my head had gotten slammed into the console. And then there was massive depression. And obviously, when, when I came back, I uh, basically had the process of a divorce starting. So there was massive depression, suicide ideation, all these things that was going on in in short. You know, if, if you are a mixed person, you know, they call you a mutt here in the United States. Well, that was just a mutt of shit that was happening yeah. <laughs> in my life, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of stuff I couldn't deal with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I, for the thing that jumps out at me, because I mean, I kind of went through it and not on your level, but the divorce thing, I'm guessing it, 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 what would never ceases to amaze me. And it, it happens so often is like, you know, like women are with you when it's good, when the times are good, but like when the test comes or when, when you're low or when you're vulnerable or you no longer present this portrayal of strength, Right. I mean, they're out, you know? And, um, I mean, I've had that happen myself. I just cannot fucking imagine what it must have been like when you've come back from your tour of duty and you need the one person that you believe is closest to you and has your back and is on your team and you're all
0: fucked up and then they can't handle it, so they just skip out. That's that's so fucked up, man. Yeah, it's crazy because it happens with both sexes, right? And specifically in my case and probably yours too, a little bit, when, when that happened, you know, one of the things they say that can be the worst thing for like a a person is a divorce. Divorce is one of the most devastating things that can happen. So you add that, you know, piled onto all the shit that was going on and I couldn't make sense of anything else <laughs> you know, yeah. in life. Plus, you know, I, I wanted it to take my life, but it's, it's crazy because one of the, one of the, the major things that held me on Nick, through that whole process was the love and thought of my two girls at the time. So I had this, Thing in my head. And, and it's crazy that I didn't know the answer to this. And I'll tell you the answer in a second. The question in my head was, how can I kind of go out, take myself out and still be able to at least have money for my kids after I'm gone? So they're taken care of. So I call that the beautiful seduction by God. That was the thing he was using as a seduction <laughs> to kind of hold me because I ha- always had a very strong faith and belief. And things, but I was ready to cash that check and just leave life. Sure. Yeah. So I was looking for ways. Uh, and the two answers I came up with, this is how thwart my thinking was and jacked up at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I had to get murdered, right? That was the only thing so that my girls can get the service life insurance for, sure. you know. Long story short, it wasn't a years later, actually about four years ago mentor of mine told me, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't matter if you had committed suicide, but I'm like, I'm so glad that I didn't know that <laughs> <shit."> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I would have clocked out long ago, Sure. you know, but sure. that kept me moving forward, man. And until one day, another friend of mine just kind of walked me into my psychiatrist's office. And then I, I started the, the mental repair, if you may, right. Yeah. See, you mentioned,
1: you mentioned like, I think the phrase you used was getting your mind back together. And I'd love to know more about how you did that
0: yeah absolutely so i started there and getting my mind back together mind you just before the last bomb that went off and blew me up i had just finished getting my second phd in human behavior psychology so i have i have a doctorate in medicine doctorate in theology a phd in human behavior and phd in psychology so i already knew these things but then when my Ego, my psyche, my, my everything got all jacked up. That took a backseat, right? And going through the process of, of of having my own therapist and three and a half years of getting my mind back aligned together and starting to remember, I started writing down and putting my own pieces together. I kind of created like my own operator's manual, if you may, of how mm-hmm. to navigate this new life. Mm-hmm. And you know that eventually became like my, my third book I wrote called today's the day. It was all about how do I fucking function today? Right. How Mm -hmm. do I get along today? How do I do this? How do I fix finances? How do I fix faith? How do I fix a family? Uh, all this other stuff on a day-to-day basis. And I eventually, it took four and a half years to figure that out around that time was when I met or two years prior is when I met my current wife. Now, who was basically a social worker. And she would tell me, it's like, bro, you are completely screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) I need to help you out. You know, she would would tell me a lot of the veterans that she worked with down in San Diego, which is where we were in California at the time. She Mm -hmm. said, you know, these guys are 60, 70 years old and they're, you know, they're messed up from like Vietnam and stuff. And she's like, you are worse than them and you're barely like thirty three years old, like your shit's time all messed time. up, you, you know you need some help. so what I loved about her is I' always mess with her terms of like I was the the one patient she had that eventually still keep her on. <laughs> but she you know she became a really good friend, then my best friend, but she still is today. We would converse about many things, and then she ended up moving into what I called the mobile apartment aka the car because I was homeless and about 3 years after that we started dating dated for 3 years and then got engaged at 7 married and that was about almost 10 years ago now so it's been a journey man yeah, getting tell this me about together it. she's been the person that's helped you know piece the pieces back together and put the glue then once i started focusing then started focusing on my ambitious desires that i'd had prior to you know being injured so we took a personal development journey for four years after that to just kind of get my shit back together. That's a perfect segue. We've spoken about
1: the, the tough shit, the bad shit. Now, your new project is a pretty cool thing from what I can see. You you run something called Underdog Millionaire. Now, I don't know too much about it, right. but uh, I, do, I do like the name. I consider myself a... Uh, potential underdog millionaire at this point. Right. So I'd love to know more about how that started and how you, how you managed to pivot from, I mean, basically you were a soldier who had some theology credentials and some psychology credentials, and now you're in, you're in business. That's quite a difference. So how did you get from there to, from A to B? Yeah,
0: that that's a, that's a huge difference. So <laughs> what happened in my transition going to personal development seminars and things like that, I started getting control back of my mind and I started reading books. I I looked at The Secret, which I did like every single day. I read a book called The Slight Edge, which is taking simple disciplines and turning it into massive success. And The The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. So I read that book, The Bible, and looked at The Secret for nine months straight every single day at least four or five times a day so Mm -hmm. it was really programming and reprogramming my mindset so everything starts first in the mind and then once i started getting reprogrammed positively then i started to have more of a positive bias if you may and i started seeking opportunities and then a friend of mine introduced me into the network marketing space when (laughs) there's a funny piece for you i left the marine corps and joined a network marketing company that focused more on anti-aging skincare. I mean, I had yeah. no business in skincare as a Marine, but it gave me the opportunity to connect with a lot of women uh, and learn a lot about marketing, learn a lot about sales, and most importantly, w- build my self-esteem and ego back to a place where it was, it, it, it knew it needed to be prior to me being uh, injured, right? Sure. I was teaching some adjutant adjutant classes down at UCSD in in, um, San Diego. And one of my students worked for Walmart stores. And I did one of the the classes I I used to teach on next level growth and achievement, which actually became the solid foundation and system for the Today's Today book again. Mm -hmm. Well, the store he was operating in in uh, San Diego after they went to the course, him and four of his friends, I charged them like five hundred bucks for the whole weekend thing to do it. Their store became the number one store like ninety days later. Wow! And
1: so, so your shit works.
0: Yeah, it's like, <laughs> So that, that that kind of proved the concept that the shit actually does work.
1: Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it uh,
0: it alerted attention of his dad, who was the um, district manager, the regional manager, rather, for Walmart stores in uh, the that side of the world. So long story short, I got introduced to his dad, repeated the same process with many of the managers across a lot of stores. And if you kind of check back in 09, this is when like Walmart was having a big dip and the stores, all that region, like California, they became like the number one stores there. So that validated it. Fast forward a year and a half from there, I had a chance to work with Walmart corporate. So I've been working with a lot of corporate giants for years. And like Walmart stores, Jaffa Cosmetics, Nice Media, Covid, Chevron Oil, Not Gas, Walgreens, and many others. The truth is, over the years, I made phenomenal income doing that. But I got bored because I love to interact. I like to connect. I got used to working you know, 20 years in, in, in the Marine Corps, working with Marines, helping hand in hand. So that helped with the money. That helped pay back the bills, all the debt and stuff that I had when I was homeless. So life was good. And then I started, I got into a phase that I teach a lot of entrepreneurs now, which is called purpose and meaning. So I made the money and I was really fighting with God, trying to figure out, like, why am I here and what am I going to do with that? And and that's what kind of put me on to finishing. I keep mentioning it. The book Today's the Day created a Mm -hmm. philosophy, created an online program, all that stuff. But then COVID hit, fast forward. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? A lot of folks needed to be able to know how to operate online. And build business. So I said, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself, and I'm going to start over basically from scratch. I gave myself a thousand dollars in hand, January of last year, and says I'm going to build a multi-million dollar business, and I'm going to create a community, use myself as the case study, and show everyone that you can start a business, launch it, scale it to seven figures in about nine to twelve months. But the restrictions I put on myself was I couldn't do business with anyone that i had done businesses in the past. Couldn't use my old contact list. I literally had to start over being the underdog. So I was inspired first by, you know, the show that Grant Cardone did, like the underdog billionaire or whatever. So I was going to do um, undercover millionaire. You know, when I checked with my attorneys, they're like, we're probably going to have a lot of issues with undercover. Millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, I said, well, you know what? Well, that just puts me being the underdog anyway. So we created the Underdog Millionaire. What happened within the first 90 days, we did over, I think it was like 134,000 in sales, just kind of launching out completely organic. No one. So from then to now, it has been, which is why I kind of created with um, the folks at Bullfrog who has been amazing that introduced me to you. Every relationship and all we've done has been completely new. We have multiple clients now that are building their businesses, having success, so it's about a year and a few months in, and the Underdog Millionaire brand is expanding. We, we've created the Underdog Millionaire different segments. We just launched the Underdog Millionaire Kids Department, an, an entire separate company. We just launched the clothing line. So then we have Underdog Investments, which uh, my CEO is going to be running and operating. The key to the second phase is really launching the underdog television series so we're going to do 20 shows per season highlighting our clients and their success use that as a way for kind of like uh, a deep level of marketing without marketing and generate more leads and things that way so the underdog is really just me not being able to go back to anything from my past or go over teaching demonstrating and helping other people do the same i love it
1: i mean i it, it really uh Hits home for me because when I arrived in this country four years ago, I came as an underdog. You know, like I I didn't really have. I I had a small network here, but I wasn't. I wasn't known, and I was getting here pretty late in life. And coming from a very, uh, I've been living in a very different way to the the way most middle class or wealthy Americans live. I've been living just traveling the world, living a pretty informal life, doing what I wanted. No, no real roots, and so I made this decision. When I got to America, I was like, "No, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the way I live. I'm gonna change my identity." Right, and uh, it was fucking hard, man. <laughs> it was fucking it was, hard. Right? <laughs> right? Like, so I kind of, I really do understand where you're coming from. I'm also really glad to hear that you're not doing network marketing anymore because if, if I'm reading it
0: correctly, that's the same as like MLM. Right, right. Now, I, I use, you know, I use that to learn um, network marketing. I think it's like the best model to learn business. You learn how to deal with people, you learn sales, you learn marketing, you know, it's because a company has everything else. All you have to go do is learn to sell it. So you sure. learn those skills that you develop. But, you know, I, I've, I've moved on from that phase to be able to do what I love the most to bring my gifts to the world, to help. Yeah, them. that's.
1: We're definitely on the same page because that's one of the things that I tell anyone who wants to listen, in particular my clients, right. I, which is the one of the most important questions you can ever ask is how can I give my gifts back to the world? Right. And uh, I'm so happy to hear that you you're on the same page. So one of the things you're an expert at is is overcoming plateaus in life and business. And I think a lot of the men listening, myself included, uh, have either found themselves on a the plateau at some point in the past or um, are on a plateau right now. I know one of my very best friends; he's been on a plateau for years, and he he wants to break through. So, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people listening would be interested in in any wisdom or and action steps you have around that particular topic.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one of the the simplest thing is to understand this. I wrote this in the fourth chapter of my book. Today's the day. That chapter is titled "Beliefs Regulate Performance." So, what happens to us in high performance standards? We have a specific belief, which is linked to a specific action set. Those steps repeated over time create certain habits, behavioral patterns. So in order to change the end result, we have to kind of work everything all the way back, which is changing our belief about the current set situation problem. I'm not a problem solver. I'm a solution person. Because most people, how your brain works, your brain is, is your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. It's a cerebral mechanism. It's always searching, right? So when you search for problems, you just become a problem. Service, so you just attach more problems to you. But when you become a solutionist, anything that pops up, you find a solution. So the best way, for example, in sports, I mean, years ago, we all know the Richard Banner, um Roger Bannister story of, where they say like no one can run less than a four-minute mile because your heart will explode. and All these things are going to happen. Until he changed his mindset about it and says, Listen, I'm going to go for it. And he did. And he broke the four-minute mile. And when he did, within three weeks, 27 other people do it, did it. Within a year, over 1,700 other people did it. Now, it's the requirement <laughs> to get on the Olympic team to break the four minute mile just to be in the, the grazing space right so that changed everything what happens when anyone gets to a plateau there is what i would call a mental operating function that they have and that is the core thing you have to change after have to change the core operating function it's a it's like a limiting a
1: limiting belief is another way to a say it.
0: a belief it's their own glass ceiling
1: and how do, you, how do you help them or what's, what, what are your strategies for overcoming or eradicating limiting beliefs? Because we all have them. Everyone has them. Exactly. Yeah,
0: I'd love to hear how you, how you deal with that. Yeah, so the top three things to change limiting beliefs is the first, identify what the issue is. So identification, okay? You can't change what you don't take control of or what you don't take inventory of. So you always have to inspect what you expect. That's something I learned in the Marine Corps. Once you do that, you have to identify the targets that are really preventing you from moving forward. What are the targets, i.e., the conversations you're having either with yourself or others or the people you're in? I always say that environment is stronger than willpower. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do if you're in an environment. If you're around nine smokers, then you're going to have lung cancer. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that you might smoke. But you're the one that's going to suffer more from lung cancer because you're going to get secondhand smoke from all the other smokers. If you're around nine broke people, you're probably going to be the 10th. So what happens is a third when you change your environment, your actions have to now fall into what is called the new routine. Every wealthy person, I'm not just talking money, I'm talking about wealth and family, faith, finance, fun, you name it has a specific routine, a routine of thinking into actions, into what they say that will deliver results. So if we are going to bring it to finances, though, that plateau, you got to change the group and the environment of the people you're at. Most people, when they're at a plateau, if they inventory themselves, that means that they're the leader of the current pack they're in. That's the first mistake. You need to get to another pack where you are the newbie, where you're the neophyte, where you're the guy that's now learning and your head hurts. That's the room or the group you want to be in because those guys will push you. And if you do want to learn, then you'll have to do this. You'll have to show up consistently with a good attitude over a long period of time, be willing to pay the price, pay the price, find others who are willing to pay the price with you. And then over time success will take its place.
1: I get it. Okay. So okay, if we can just compact that down into like an elevator pitch, you first got to identify what, what issue is at play in your life. And then step two is?
0: Yeah, change the situation or circumstance you're in. So yeah. change your environment. And then repeat a uh, repeated, consistent action. Yeah, take consistent, persistent action towards that desire result. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's interesting, like, you know, the more you, you delve, the more you learn, or at least I found this to be the case, the more I learn, the more I realize that a lot of the stuff you, you stumble upon it yourself, even if no one really taught it to you. Like I kind of figured out that consistency and repeated consistent action was necessary for, to achieve the things I wanted to achieve in life. And no one really told me that. I just kind of figured that out myself, you know? So it's kind of cool to see that. I I just always appreciate when that happens. It gives me more faith in myself and my own abilities. Okay. So you are clearly a very interesting, cool dude. And I love the way you think. Thank you. Now, the, people, the people listening are going to want to find out more about you. I'm going to go want, want to read one of your books. Today is the day. I love the, the title because I try to
0: live my life that, in that way, that every day is the day, right? Right. <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? Well, The best place for them to go is one of two ways. If uh, I know Instagram is really popular these days. They can go to Dr. Obamboin uh, on Instagram and find me there. But um, you can find more about me and how to probably connect with us and, and learn more about what I do at theobmastermind.com.
1: Excellent. Now, I have one more question, and then I want to let you go, which is, if you could give one piece of advice to the 21-year-old Dr. Ogun Bowen, what would it be?
0: <laughs> There's so much that's flooding in, in, in my head right now, but... Yeah, don't get on the, up. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> on, on the professional side, it would be never fucking doubt yourself
1: never doubt yourself i love it
0: right you know I, yeah. doubt and worry is negative goal setting right and, and fear is just an abstract way of worrying about what's what's to come
1: sure i love it never doubt yourself always believe in yourself that is that is at the end of it all i mean i think there's a few you could probably count like five things that really differentiate those who make it and those who don't i mean one of them is action you can read all the books in the world and learn all the theories and memorize all the quotes, but if you don't fucking take action, it's nothing is going to happen. But that is another one. Never doubt yourself. Or if you doubt yourself to just continue in spite of the doubts, you know, push exactly. them out of your mind and keep going. Because we all we all doubt ourselves, but it's those who go beyond the doubts that make it, right?
0: Yeah, because, you know, um, and then pe- people will say, you know, hey, act in spite of fear. But the, the problem I think society misses a lot is, is the definition of fear. My definition is, Fear is the anticipation of a future pain, whether that pain is emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever it is. At times, we are, we have to act in spite of anticipating what is coming. And when you think about it, I'm a Christian. When you think about it, the only way to act in spite of it is to really exercise faith. Faith is an action-based word, right? It's not just like, oh, I have faith. When you said mustard seed, it just means take one more step. Keep moving forward. One more step. One more step. Today's the day you do it. Don't wait for tomorrow. Wait right now. Do it now. Act now. It isn't tomorrow. You can't really live tomorrow unless you maximize today.
1: Oh, well, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, my man. And um, I'm sure that we'll have you on the show again in the future.
0: Hope so. And thank you so much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. I mean, you have me tap back into some place that I haven't been in a while. So... <laughs> I appreciate that. It definitely helped bring out the, the, the bulldog and some of the stuff that I don't talk about. And uh, I look forward to being uh, connected and possibly on the show again if I provided any value to continue doing so. Bless you, my brother. I appreciate you. Same here. Thank you, my friend.
1: Yeah, Interesting. I, I always get on with soldiers. I don't think I've ever met a soldier or like a, a military guy that I didn't instantly hit it off with. We just, I just get their vibe, man. I think maybe it's something to do with the fact that they... they live generally live pretty orderly lives or they respect and appreciate order and and honor as well that's been a a theme with the the soldiers that i've met they're generally pretty honorable guys in there they have courage just always get on with them and obviously dr Um, bowden was no exception and uh it's amazing what he was able to do i think a lot of guys get to the age of 30 or maybe even 35 40 and they they might have been doing a career for a long time, 15, 20, 30 years even. And maybe not 30 years, 20 years. And then they, they think that that's it. They think that there's, there's no chance to change, right? Like it's one and done. You know, I'm a lawyer and I'm going to be a lawyer forever. Or I'm a, an accountant or I'm a jujitsu coach, whatever it might be. They think that's, that's the end of it. And that's just a limiting belief. We spoke about limiting beliefs in the, in the conversation. You know, it's, it's been shown that business owners, the average age of a successful business owner or successful first-time business owner, the age in which at which they become successful is 45. I found that out and I thought that was very interesting. Because man, when you get into your 30s and 40s, you've got such a wealth of experience to draw from. And you generally know who you are and you know how you work. When you combine those two things, it's... With self discipline and willpower and uh, courage. It's a recipe for something cool, and you can build something amazing and never underestimate your, your ability to shift or change, to change not only your identity, but um, your career and your vocation. Cool, guys. So, uh, reminder Subconscious Jiu Jitsu Association if you're looking to become associated with uh, two really cool third degree black belts and a Awesome Jiu Jitsu Association. Hit me up, send me a message. It's nick at bjj.com and I'll get back to you. And also, guys, we're up to 96 reviews on iTunes. I just need another three or four to break a 100. And then uh, the iTunes or the Apple Podcasts algorithm is going to be way more favorable to the show. So it's going to get ranked higher. More people will listen. I'll be more inspired to keep doing it. So I ask you guys. As listeners, if you're enjoying this work, if you're enjoying what I do, please head on over to the podcast app and leave a review. Until next time, guys, peace out.